You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. It's 6pm on the 25th of October 2022 and you're here with Beth. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we are broadcasting and recording, that is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and to pay our respects to their elders past and present. Tonight on Done by Law, we feature audio from the wonderful seminar Women's Lived Experience in Decarceration and Carceral Resistance, held yesterday, Monday 24th of October 2022, at the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne. This evening of discussion, reflections and solutions was hosted by Fitzroy Legal Service and featured the insightful contributions of a number of expert panellists, including practitioners and women with lived experience of incarceration and the criminal justice system. We have unfortunately only been able to feature 30 minutes of this jam-packed two-and-a-half-hour evening. To watch the whole event, head to YouTube via the link on the Done By Law webpage for this episode. Good evening, everyone. We're going to get started, so if people want to take their chairs... So my name's Christine O'Laris, I'm the CEO at Fitzroy Legal Service, and it's my pleasure to be your MC um, for this evening. I'd like to start by acknowledging that we're meeting tonight at the wonderful Wheeler Centre uh, on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and also to any uh, First Nations people who are here tonight. Tonight we will be discussing women's incarceration and within that context I think it's also important that we recognise that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are 21 times more likely to end up in prison than other women. We recognise the ongoing impacts of colonisation for First Nations peoples and the structural racism that continues to exist in our society and indeed in our justice system. I would like to warmly welcome you all to this event, both those of you who have come out in person. Um, I don't think it's raining yet, but there was certainly the risk. Um, and also those of you who are joining via the online stream um, at home. We're thrilled to have so many people interested in hearing about women's lived experience in decarceration and carceral resistance. And we're thrilled for a couple of reasons. So first off, you know, for us, it's a really important priority. It's an important part of our advocacy and our research at Fitzroy Legal Service. And I'm sure for many of you here as well. Uh, secondly, because the evening aims to centre women's lived experience of criminalisation 
which is also a key component of our approach to community-driven justice. Uh, if you're interested, we do have two very pertinent pieces of research that sit on our website at fls.org.au. Uh, one is called Constellation of Circumstances, which um, looked at the burgeoning number of women in remand in Victoria. Um, and that was, uh, we partnered with La Trobe University and Deakin University in that piece of research. And the other is called Gendered Injustice, and it has a specific focus on policing um, and also on um, the criminalisation of victim survivors of family violence. So do check those out if you're interested in, in these topics. And I presume you are, because you're here tonight. <laughs> so um, thank you. Uh, so we've got two panels this evening. So the first one you will hear from sector practitioners who will uh, discuss the systemic changes that are required to address the over-representation uh, and over-incarceration of women. Um, the over-incarceration of women, sorry. The second panel will be after the break and it will comprise women with lived experience of incarceration and they're going to discuss their experiences, they will provide expertise on issues and challenges, and they'll also um, tell us what they think the way forward is. Uh, we want to have a focus on solutions tonight. It's, I think that's really important that we start thinking about how do we improve the situation. Um, and so I uh, encourage you to think about that as you're listening this, e this evening. Um, you will have an opportunity after that second panel to ask questions of our lived experience experts um, and uh, for those of you here at, at the Wheeler Centre in person. All right, so we'll start, we'll jump into the content of the evening. Um, so right now, there are 362 women who are in Victoria's prisons. 204 of those are unsentenced. That's 56%. The percentage of unsentenced Aboriginal women in our prisons is higher still. In fact, it's estimated at about 89%. The rate at which women are being imprisoned in Victoria has sharply risen over recent years. Women tend to be locked up for less serious, non-violent offences. Victoria Legal Services Gendered Injustice Research Report found that the most common issues women who were criminalised experienced were domestic and family violence, poverty, homelessness and housing insecurity, trauma, mental illness and or psychological distress and alcohol and other drug dependencies and often a combination of those things. So there's a critical need to address women's over-incarceration, to learn from successful projects within the sector and listen to the expertise of women with first-hand experience of criminalisation and incarceration. We need to understand what's needed to keep women out of the criminal justice system. So we'll get started. Um, thank you, everyone. Welcome. Um, I, of course, want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands from which we're joining today uh, and obviously all the lands from which people are joining online. These are stolen lands, but one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight is really about the, the impacts of stolen lives and stolen futures because of the impacts of the criminal justice system. And um, at this point, I just want to acknowledge that Arnie Vicky Roach was going to be a panellist 
with us tonight, but unfortunately is unwell and couldn't and was very disappointed not to be able to join us. So we're very aware of that. We're going to um, be sensitive to try and uh, try and re represent or at least reflect um, on those considerable impacts on Aboriginal communities throughout the discussion tonight. Okay, so we'll get down to business. It's going to be a little bit fluid and loosey-goosey. We all know each other. We might be a bit informal, so just <laughs> forgive us for that. Everyone's been working in this area for a long time. We're all very passionate about um, decarceration and really getting women out of prison and helping them to stay out. For those of you who don't know much um, about the CIJ, we're an independent um, research and reform organisation attached to RMIT. But we all come from policy and practice backgrounds, so we sort of want to get down and um, into the implementation of solutions. And so part of our really our remit for existing essentially is to provide an evidence base for reform in the justice system, because many of you will readily recognise that the justice system is one of the least evidence-based areas of policy that you could possibly find. So we are about sort of developing a greater, more solid evidence base in particular areas. And one of those areas is women's contact with the criminal justice system. And I was very privileged to work with some of this lot on evaluating the Women Transforming Justice program a little while ago, which was a sensational multi-component program which provided gender-informed legal and social work support to women to try and get them out of prison um, have them be, receive bail successfully but also succeed on bail because we know that there are so many considerations and factors that go into that. Alongside that though, there was this amazing pro project that still is operating, um, supporting and developing uh, the advocacy skills of women with um, lived experience. And we're going to hear from those women tonight after the break, so I'm not going to steal any of their thunder. I am just going to talk about some of the kind of systemic components that we saw in that evaluation first. And that was just simply the fact that the needs of women uh, in contact with the criminal justice system um, are so kind of completely failed by the existing service system that it was very, very evidence, um, evident how women in contact with the criminal justice system will often fall through the gaps. So they're um, labelled as too complex. Silo, the siloed way of systems operating means that they, if they can't fit in with this particular um, service response, they are also not going to fit in with another particular service response. And we did some court observations as part of our evaluation. And one of the things that really stood out to us was a reflection by a very well-meaning magistrate who said, in a bail application, well, it, but for women transforming justice, I would be remanding you today. But I know that you have a support worker there who's going to walk alongside you. So that's the only reason that I feel that it's going to be safe to, to um, allow you to go back into the community. And that stood out for us because it sort of was an perhaps unintended concession that the correctional system is functioning as a proxy for a, a properly operating social service system. So that's what we want to talk about first today. I'm going to throw to Karen or Lisa. Karen, do you want to talk about one of the biggest factors um, that we're, we're, or areas in which we're failing women, and that is failure to deliver proper social housing? 
Thanks. Well, yeah, I also wanted to acknowledge uh, that we're here on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Boonarung peoples of the Kulin Nation and pay respects to Elders past and present and any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people or other First Nations people here today. Um, I want to acknowledge the, the resistance of First Nations people to the invasion and theft of their country and their homes, and I want to talk about homes, um, through the violent, their violent removal from country and home and family and their incarceration in the first network of specialised prisons for dispossessed people, which was the, I think we need to look back on as the ge genesis of the kind of criminal justice, criminal injustice system that uh, we're coping with today. Um, I, got, I went down a rabbit hole this afternoon looking at the history of the incarceration of uh, First Nations people in Victoria. I, I'm, I'm quite familiar with the sort of history in Queensland coming from the Prisoners Legal Service. And we have the infamous Palm Island, which was a prison island for First Nations people who resisted uh, imprisonment in protection um, missions and um, uh, stations in Queensland. Anybody who showed a bit of resistance was carted off to Palm Island. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't take much to find the same sort of pattern in Victoria and the six missions and reserves that uh, served in Victoria as... Uh, places of incarceration of dispossessed peoples in this state um, who were removed from their homes and taken to those places. Um, and today we still see the same dispossession, separation of families, incarceration and the commission of violence against First Nations people, families, communities. Uh, and uh, I guess I just wanted to express the hope that we're going to be able to delve a little bit deeper into the mechanisms by which that is continuing to be perpetrated in Victoria at the moment. It's, um, it's just really quite confronting looking at the detail of how those imprisonments worked in Victoria on the missions and in, in the um, reserves. The kinds of things that we still see uh, in terms of the children being separated from the adults forcibly, uh, the children being under particular uh, kinds of discipline, um, the youth detention issues that we're seeing in Dondale, in Tasmania, in Western Australia and here in Victoria really it just it, it just echoes through the through the history of what of what how it started um, so yes that's i guess that's the first thing to say also I, I guess i should say i'm in the um homes not prisons campaign and our elder our our inspiration and our um uh grounding for the campaign does come from our elder vicky roach Aunty vicky roach who these days lives up near Wollongong uh, in pretty poor health but still in incredible fighting spirit. And she actually wrote a speech for a rally that we had outside the parliament on Friday afternoon uh, and I've got it with me. So if it's appropriate, I'll um, quote a little bit from her about housing. I might just actually start with what she says about housing as a way of sort of kicking things off. Yeah. This is Aunty Vicky on housing. Getting, I should say, Aunty Vicky did quite a few years at the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre here in Victoria, uh, and she also did short stints in a number of other um, prisons around Australia, including in New South Wales, but the biggest stint she did was here at, at, at DPFC. But she says, getting housing made a big difference for me. I got a job after I got housing. But you can't get started on anything. Your health, safety, well-being, nothing without a house, a home, a home base. Without permanent, secure, affordable housing, Aboriginal women become so enmeshed in the criminal justice system because they're in and out on a regular basis for the rest of their lives. 
We're the revolving door women. We often serve relatively short sentences, but even so we lose everything we have on the outside. All our personal possessions, clothes, photos and other sentimental mementos, our accommodation and even our children. We have to start from scratch every time, over and over again, and with mind-numbing consistency. We have to maintain the fight to either keep or have the children, keep or have our children return to us. And Aunty Vicky was stolen from her mother, her mother was stolen from her mother, and Aunty Vicky lost her son um, th uh, through child removal as well. Um, so these words are spoken from from great experience. And I should also say, I think, that Arnie Vicky was um, a peer support worker at the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre on a few occasions when um, Veronica, Arnie Veronica Nelson, who died in custody a couple of years ago at DPFC and whose inquest is underway at the moment, um, was there and she observed that Veronica was one of the women that she has called revolving door women in and out of um, DPFC for short periods. Uh, for a very long time and uh, suffering from housing instability um, and all the other things that see people go in and out in a revolving door into prison. That's where we'll leave panel one. Head to the link on the Done By Law webpage for this episode to listen to everyone's valuable reflections, particularly on solutions which were the focus of this event. Now we'll listen to some of the expertise of the women with lived experience on panel two. So thank you. I hope you all enjoyed your break um, and uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to the next panel where we'll hear from women with lived experience of incarceration and carceral resistance. I think the panel members are going to come up while I'm speaking now, is that right? But um, the moderator for this panel is Nina Storey. Nina is an unapologetic criminalised survivor. Having experienced state-sanctioned violence, she now spends her time advocating the rights of criminalised survivors. Nina would love to see the abolishment of the prison industrial complex in her lifetime. Her systemic advocacy commenced in 2018 as a member of the Women's Transforming Justice Project that you have heard of already. Um, Nina now sits on the Victim Survivor Advisory Council. She's a member of the expert uh, advisory panel at Safe and Equal. Um, she's a weaver, which is um, a, a group that uh, with people with lived experience who help with research uh, at Melbourne University and she sits on the steering committee of the Homes Not Prisons campaign. Nina stands in solidarity with the traditional owners of these lands and acknowledges that they have the solutions to living in a world of unity. She believes we must make more space and elevate their voices for their stories to be told and shared. Nina lives, works and plays in Millau, which is the Bunurong name for Phillip Island with her son and her Kelpie. Um, so over to you, Nina. Um, yeah, thanks everyone and welcome back after the intermission. Um, thanks Christine for the introduction. Um, my name is Nina and I'm really privileged to be sitting amongst friends and colleagues and I've got Jazz, Jackie and Sarah online. Um, we're all lived ex uh, women with lived experience of incarceration um, and we're going to have a really informal discussion today and just want to say as well, really um, know what Megan was saying with um, being nervous and not being able to hide behind our screens. So I have the privilege of hiding behind my screen anyway, which is great for me. Um, so we're just going to have a discussion today about the complexities of incarcerated women in women's lives and I would like to take a moment to 
to say that we're um, in Nam and it always was, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, acknowledge that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, women are 21 more, 21 more times likely to be incarcerated than non-Indigenous women and also acknowledge that we do not have a First Nations person on the panel today. Um, when we talk about decarceration and carceral re resistance, we recognise that it is the first and foremost project of a decolonisation and sovereignty for First Nations people. Um, so I'll introduce the speakers today. Um, Jackie, who's in the pink jacket, is a formerly incarcerated woman who has worked with Fitzroy Legal Service as part of the Women's Leadership Group. She lives with anxiety and mental health concerns and has previously struggled with substance dependency and homelessness. Jackie is deeply passionate about working alongside other criminalised people with a particular interest in supporting women to navigate child protection. Jackie is a warm advocate, loyal friend and proud single mum. And then we've got um, Sarah on screen. Um, Sarah is an active member of several community groups and organisations aimed to ending incarceration, including uh, Homes Up Prison Steering Committee member and previously as part of the Fitzroy Legal Service Women's Transforming Justice Project as well. Sarah has lived experience of criminalisation and incarceration. She's driven towards social change and is a fierce advocate for abolishing the carceral system and its supporting structures, which only serve to perpetuate further harm and violence to exerting power and control over people's lives. Alongside studying a bachelor degree of social science, Stara stands in solidarity with oppressed women and continues to fight for the rights of women and children. And then I've got Jazz, who's next to me. Um, Jazz Bazani is an Iranian Kurdish troublemaker based in Nam. She's an anti-facet prison abolitionist, no border activist and criminology student at Melbourne University. She's currently working on a documentary film called Benjigo Street, which discusses the coloniality of housing, the housing system. She's currently fundraising to turn the 20 minute short film into a feature length and you can contribute by donating online. Um, Jasmine's a steering group member at Homes Not Prisons and supporter of Boycott Divest Sanction Movement and she pays the rent and would also encourage anyone who's not paying the rent to also do the same. Um, so just would like to um, again thank everyone for coming today and um, I think we'll start firstly by going to um, Jackie and we're going to talk about the digital footprint and what that means for incarcerated women. So digital footprint um, is things like um, what follows us around because like you know technology is so rife so it includes things like what we have what we have on our socials anything that can be used as evidence against us mandatory reporting um, and of course our records because like the previous speakers said our records really discriminate against us and prevent us from moving around as people who are non-criminalised. It just um, prevents us from accessing services and being linked in with other things. So, um, Jackie, we know that you're particularly passionate about working alongside women and um, that interact with child that have interacted with the child protection system. Can you tell us a little bit more about? what a digital footprint is and how it impacts the lives of women and children. 
Hi everyone. Um, just before I start, I just want to explain um, very quickly, I'm having a lot going on in my life at the moment. So if I forget my name, excuse me. Um, I've got a very sick puppy and I've just moved home all this weekend. So um, I'll do my very best, but I could forget some stuff. Um, okay, so I just put this all down um, to definitely to surveillance. Um, it's something that we all face, whether we've been criminalised or not. It starts from the moment we're born with birth certificates and Medicare cards and everything else that they do. Um, although women, um, peoples, but especially women and children um, that have been criminalised are affected by this in every matter of their lives. Yeah, um, do you want to talk to it for a little while? Yeah, no, I think you're doing great, Jackie, and you've really outlined too. And I think it's a real... I just want to acknowledge too that... <laughs> I just want to acknowledge too that it's it's really really difficult as a woman with criminalisation to be sitting up here in a really really daunting space and like you know to have these lights and microphones and like you know I think too for lived experience people sometimes the audience expects, expects what I call trauma porn and like they really want to feed off a story and you know and I think it's hard to sometimes remove your own personal experience and just talk about it in, in, in a really general way. And it's really hard to um, sometimes find your words. And I think um, like it, from our experiences, having that digital footprint attached to us and having to continually protect your innocence and, and tell your story over and over again to make sure that you're not being discriminated against or, you know, to have, be stigmatized, it can be really, really challenging. So, um, Sorry, I'll help if yeah. I can. That might be a bit better. Yeah. Services um, also like follow, like making you stick to a certain criteria or you don't fit them and then they'll move you on to someone else. And if you don't fit that, then you put back into the system, especially when it's criminalised matters. Um, I'll just give a quick example of something um, that um, I, I'll just say for myself, and this is a bit of trauma in a sense, but this is something I can give because it's something in my heart. There was once upon a time that I had been um, out of the criminal justice system for 12 years and I reached out to a service because I was struggling with some stuff um, and I was concerned with reaching out around surveillance and stuff because I thought, okay, what if they contact my daughter's school? What if they um, start like pulling up my history? I'm going to be really stuffed. Like even though I'd been out of trouble for 12 years, I still had that fear. And that's so, that's so bad because that stops women, especially from reaching out because they're scared of losing their children. They're scared of what's going to come from that. Um, and everything I was scared of ended up showing itself. Um, as soon as I was speaking to them, I said, look, I understand you've got a duty of care. I haven't relapsed, but the thought is there and I'm scared, so I need some support. And they're like, okay, um, no, this should be fine. This doesn't really encroach on our duty of care. <coughs> the next morning I had the DH DHHS, oh, they always change their names. So I still remember <laughs> them as CSV, um, knocking on the door, coming in, um, wanting to speak to my daughter after school. It was so traumatic. Um, and I've now sworn that if I'm ever struggling, I will never reach out to a service like that again. Um, they put me through drug screens and everything and I had not used and it's not the point even if someone has relapsed th That's not going to help them. That's just going to make them fall more more into a deep hole They're asking for help. Isn't that what this is about? Aren't we meant to be supporting women to 
get to a better place or the place they want to be, even if that place is using, as long as you know, their children are safe, they're doing, you know, meeting certain things, isn't that all that matters? And they're not like, you know, offending as in this, you know, how the law or parliament looks at it. I think that's the main thing, but it's not. We've got it all, and this is where services, like some services have got really good hearts and good place, but when there's government in that service a lot of the time, they've got to tick these boxes and meet these needs. And that's not how our lives work at all. Like, you know, it's just, it's insane. And all services collude. And, you know, you sign that form when you get in with them and they'll collude with each other. And you just have to say one thing. So you're constantly on the back foot, fearful. What if I say something that doesn't fit into them? For example, and this has got nothing to do with being criminalised, and I'll be really quick. I co-slept with my daughter for quite many years. And I was always fearful to say something to them. And it had a little bit to do with my history as well, because I'm like, OK, so I smoke cigarettes and I have had a, use, a history of drug abuse. But even people that co-sleep get judged anyway. But I was scared, OK, so that's going to get me to the department. So there's always that constant what if. So you're constantly never wanting to be honest, which leaves you your mental health in a really bad place if it's not already in a bad place. Um, and that's really traumatic. And it's not helpful for our children either because we feel unable to talk. And sorry to keep going back to kids, but it is something I'm really passionate about. If we're unable to talk, then you know, that sends us and that we're possibly more going to go into using and more going to what we know to cope. And then obviously the whole cycle starts again of being criminalised. And for me, I'm not only speaking for myself here, but it's a very generational thing. Um, when Karen was speaking, I was like, oh, yes, yes, because it's that whole generational thing, you know, that my, my, my family, then, you know, their drug abuse, their mental health, into custody. Then I, you know, got older, same sort of thing, because, you know, wardship and trauma that came from that. And, you know, my family was the surveillance. So it's not a new thing. It's constant. That's unfortunately all we have time for tonight. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We've been hearing audio from the wonderful seminar Women's Lived Experience in Decarceration and Carceral Resistance held last night, Monday 24th of October 2022 at the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne. To watch the whole event, head to YouTube via the link on the Done By Law webpage for this episode. Stay tuned for Voices of West Papua coming up next. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.